welcome to the show. This is the Magician and the Fool podcast, and we are on episode number 36. My name is Dominic. My co-host's name is Janice. You will hear from him in a little bit, as always. Today, we speak with Joao Pedro Feliciano, who co-runs the Horace Hathor Temple Order of the Golden Dawn in Montreal, Canada. He also heads the Canadian Lodge of the Hermetic Federation, an order that explores Greco-Egyptian magic. He has written for the Journal of the Western Mystery Tradition, the Hermetic Tablet, and a Silver Sun and Inky Clouds devotional for Dehuti and Set. He began his esoteric journey at the age of 13 after stumbling across the occult section of his local library. He remained a solitary practitioner until the age of 22 when he was initiated into the Golden Dawn, subsequently making forays into other fields such as Hoodoo and Martinism. His current practices and research revolve around the Golden Dawn, the Greek magical papyri, and Jewish mysticism. So this was a nice relaxed interview where we got to talk shop with Joao. Um, he goes by Joao or Pedro. We kind of fluctuate between the two names. Um, he's got an innovative style of practice, which we feel is a positive example of how to practically apply traditional work. We will be discussing working with the Greek magical papyri in this episode, or the PGM. Papyri Graekae Magike. Did I pronounce it right? I don't think so. But anyway, before we get going, I want to say, as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for helping keep the lights on. If you would like to help support us in that way, head over to Patreon and do what you can. Also, shout out to our previous guest, Sarah Janes. She has been killing it lately with her Explorers Club. That girl is busy. She has been talking to legit, high-caliber, world-renowned Egyptologists discussing cutting-edge scholarship, archaeology, and research. We would highly recommend that you tune in to what she's got going on. Um, you can sign up for the Zoom lectures on her website, themysteries.org, and participate live. Or you can catch up on all the fascinating conversations on her YouTube channel. Make sure to follow her on Facebook at Sarah Janes or on her Explorers Club Facebook page. As always, we dedicate this to Hermes and Asclepios. May the merits we accumulate doing this work be extended to all sentient beings so that they, together with us, may equally realize awakening.
Okay, welcome to the show, everyone. We are very pleased to have Mr. Joao Pedro Feliciano on the show with us today, and we are going to talk about some really fascinating topics that interest all of us here, including the Greek magical papyri, hoodoo, the synthesis of different folk uh, magic traditions. Welcome to the show, Joao. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me again. Glad to have you. Yeah, this is going to be a fun uh, episode. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, praxis, so practice, and your approach to uh, the PGM. But let's start with maybe getting to know you a little bit. Would you mind introducing yourself, talking about maybe your uh, your history with magic, specifically the PGM, how you got into it, and then we can go on from there. All right. Well, um, I started, um, you know, my interest in magic started when I was 13. Um, it was, it's a bit of a funny story, really. I, uh, I had a crush on, uh, on a girl in high school and, um, I was kind of head over heels. Uh, and, uh, around the same time I discovered the occult section of my local uh, library and, you know, one thing led to another and I got into, you know, I, I found this book that had love spells in it. And uh, one in particular <laughs> um, involved, uh, it was a red ribbon and uh, you take uh, some of the person's hair and you recite this formula over it. And uh, there's this guy I knew in, uh, in one of my classes and who knew that girl. And uh, I asked, uh, you know, I actually asked them to go, you know, can you, f- you know, ask her for a lock of her hair or, you know, I, I was a kid, you know, um, and he managed, <laughs> he, he actually managed to do it. I think he took it out of her hat or something. I don't know. Um, so I did the spell. Unfortunately, nothing worked. It, it, it didn't work, but uh, uh, it triggered my interest in magic. Uh, regardless. Um, I was most uh, mostly an armchair magician until I was 22. And this was 2004 uh, when I was initiated into the Golden Dawn, uh, a local temple here. And eventually I, uh, I rose up the ranks and I, uh, I now co-run a temple, uh, the, uh, the Horse Hathor Temple of the Golden Dawn. Now, my interest in the PGM, um, it's actually dates back to the early 2000s, uh, I'd say. I had read about the PGM um, through some works on Jewish magic, and uh, I think if I if I remember correctly, it was in the. Uh, do you guys know the Sword of Moses, uh, which is a Jewish grimoire? The uh, Moses, I think Moses Gaster translated that, right? Yeah. So I think I think it was because that was one of the first books of magic that I got and uh, that I actually bought. And in the introduction, he refers to the Eighth Book of Moses and the Leiden Papyrus. And that got me kind of interested in, in discovering more about that tradition. And eventually, I actually got the Leiden Papyrus, which uh, for those who don't know, the Leiden Papyrus, uh, it, it it refers. It can refer to the uh, the eighth book of Moses because it's a, it's a, a papyrus that's stored in uh, in one of the um, in a museum in uh, Leiden, Germany. But more famously, it refers to the largest demotic uh, magical papyrus that was ever found. And that was actually published as the Leiden papyrus, and that's the one that I eventually ordered through a local bookstore, and it really triggered an interest in the PGM. Soon after, uh, at a local university library, I discovered uh, uh, Hans Dieter Betz's uh, The Greek Magical Papyrian Translation. I made uh, tons of photocopies from it. 
I even have full notebooks where I, I transcribed entire papyri by hand. Uh, so I actually have, uh, I would buy, I used to buy these hardcover um, notebooks and I would, uh, you know, just make my own personal grimoires. Uh, and uh, I have entire papyri transcribed. I didn't actually practice any of that. Now, how I came to practice the PGM around 2009, 2010, and I was already deep into the Golden Dawn, I decided to, to read the uh, Corpus Hermeticum, uh, which, you know, it's one of the, uh, the most important uh, compilations of the Philosophical Hermetica, uh, which is obviously closely related to the PGM. And uh, this was the second time I was reading it. Uh, I think the first time I, you know, I was, I was a lot younger and I didn't understand a lot of it. Uh, but this time, um, reading it with new eyes, it, it, something happened that night that I read it. I was, I actually did a small ritual around this whole thing. Uh, I would, I often, uh, ritualize study where I'll, uh, I'll do some preliminary magical work and, uh, then I'll bring out my books and my notebooks and, and, and all of that. And I'll actually read them. And it, you know, it, it brings me, uh, brings me into different states. It's kind of like, uh, if you guys are familiar with Lexio Divina that, uh, Christian monks do where it's kind of a, a, a mystical reading of holy texts. So I do that a lot. And um, so that night reading the Corpus Hermeticum, it really struck me deeply. It's like something I had been looking for for a long time, and I finally found it, and this was it. And that night, I, I, you know, I came to the realization that you know, I had, you know, even though I'd, I'd been practicing magic through the Golden Dawn, I didn't really have a, a religion or a deeper you know, deeper religious foundation uh, to my practice. And this was it. I knew this was it that night. So I started researching a bit more into the Hermetica. I got back into researching the PGM and I started just creating small practices. Um, I didn't use, I actually, I just used the, um, the raw text. So I, or I soon after I ordered uh, Betz's, um, the Greek magical papyri, instead of, Taking someone else's um, example, like uh, like what I'm talking about is um, there was a book on the PGM already, uh, the um, uh, Hermetic Magic by uh, by Stephen Flowers, and there was also another one by Tony uh, Mizwirski or Mizwick. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his name. Mizwicky. Um, yeah. I decided to just, you know, take the knowledge that I had gathered through the Golden Dawn in my own experience and just take the texts and just kind of create my own thing out of them. So I started, and the first thing I, uh, I created was um, a series of prayers one, once for each day. So prayers to the Hermetic One or to the, uh, the Transcendental God. I'm a, I'm a monist, uh, so I I love the idea of this, you know, a supreme god above all things. That's beyond any uh, uh, concrete definition. So I love that idea, and uh, so I decided to create a series of prayers to to that force. I took uh, I took a lot of uh, divine names from the. Um, the eighth book of Moses. There's the latter section of that text, which has a lot of names of the supreme god. So I took a lot of those names. I used portions of uh, of of the Hermetica, of different PGM hymns, of different uh, Greek hymns, and I created a series of uh, prayers for each day that I uh, that I started practicing on a regular basis. And you know, stuff started happening. 
from then on, I also I created my own self-initiation ritual that I think I have. Uh, I think it's on my blog somewhere. And um, it was it, it's kind of a self-initiation, but it's also a communion rite. Uh, it uses the um, the hidden stele, which is a, um, a hermetic prayer from the, uh, the magical papyri. And I had a lot of really profound experiences with that as well. Eventually, I started creating liturgies to different uh, Greek and Greco-Egyptian gods. Um, I started working a lot with uh, the goddess Isis and uh, Agathos Daimon uh, quite a bit. And that's how my practice started developing. And uh, you know, I started really learning more and more. And I started getting having really intense experiences. And uh, this culminated eventually with meeting a couple of guys. Uh, so Janice here and um, uh, Jay Bartlett, who also had kind of a, a, a similar, you know, a similar outlook and appreciation for the Hermetica and for this tradition. And it culminated in me founding a lodge of the Hermetic Federation, which is a, a magical order that's centered on the PGM uh, here in uh, Montreal. Uh, so I run the, uh, the Montreal lodge here. Uh, so in 2016, I started initiating people. Yeah, that's kind of, a, a rundown of, of my, uh, of my progress. Yeah, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, and I, what I love about it is you were, you were practicing from, from the get go. I mean, you may not have been practicing, you know, the way you practice now, but you started with a love spell and then, um, I, I like that you started kind of creating your own liturgies. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's that's what people need to be doing is is kind of taking that extra step and getting creative and and doing that. And I really like also how you make study uh, a part of your practice, like the actual uh, reading and studying itself is is practice. So that's that's really cool. Thank you. Um, there was a turning point actually in 2014 to, to a lot of uh, my. Um, how I approached magic. So in 2014, I had a friend of mine uh, who, whom I know through different things, and he came to stay with me for a couple of weeks. And he had been practicing hoodoo uh, for quite a while and had you know, some real, manifested some real miracles in his life as, you know, as a result of his practice. And he basically tutored me for two weeks in that tradition. And uh, you know, I hoodoo really became a part of how I approached the PGM. It really became kind of the 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 substrate of my PGM practice uh, from then on. And yeah, that's what I really wanted to touch on because um, we've been in communication for a few years, and I've always admired that that kind of synthesis of hoodoo and the PGM, and I it really jives with me. And uh, I've been I've been able to personally learn a lot from kind of the stuff that you've written. And what we've talked about, so I thought this would be an awesome uh, topic for the show. So yeah, I was just gonna mention. Um, yeah, I I also I had a definitely a revelatory theophanic experience with the Corpus Hermeticum as well. Very similar to Pedro's. Actually, it's something that he and I immediately connected about years ago when we first started talking. For me, the experience of living scripture like the word of God, I didn't experience that for the first time through Christian scripture, even though I have subsequently, 
My first real experience of that was through the Corpus Hermeticum. Something happened, like it was a type of spiritual awakening that occurred simply from studying and meditating upon the the books of the Corpus Hermeticum. Something happened to my soul, and um, I perceived it as a li- as the word was alive. It was the living word. It was amazing to me that experience and. Um, I don't know if that experience is available to everyone, but I know it is available to others. And, um, you know, I was astonished when I started speaking to Pedro when I learned that he had the same experience. It's very profound. Mm-hmm. I think um, the, the, the climax of that uh, experience was when I read uh, Corpus Hermeticum 13, the discourse on rebirth, and uh, which is really one of the most profound texts I've ever read. Yeah, it's it's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, um, so let's get into this this practice model, um, this operating system. First of all, maybe maybe uh, what's your perspective on the PGM in general? How do you approach it? How do you look at it? And then maybe how do you make make inroads into it? Um, so I started uh, I started off with a very religious approach to the PGM. Um, that you know maybe maybe it's not for everyone. So. Like I said, I started with the uh, the whole uh, you know approaching the highest the highest God um, through the PGM through different prayers uh, that I, that I created, and um, then approaching specific deities, uh, especially Isis and Agathos Daimon, uh, through these liturgies, and then I from the, from then on afterwards, eventually what I, what I started doing, although now that's that's changed quite a bit, I actually created my own. But uh, I would use the Orphic hymns, so the Orphic hymns of each planetary god, and I would um, combine them with the um, the magical uh, names of the planetary gods from the uh, Hygromanteia, which is the uh, the Greek key of Solomon. So for a while, I was doing that every day, where I, where I would um, I would say that the Orphic hymn with the name, and I would uh, uh, burn some incense to the planetary god in the hour. So that was kind of you know I I always had that um, that religious approach to it. Then with with Hoodoo is when I really started uh, doing actual practical magic with the PGM. I mean before that um, when I was when I was using my liturgies to 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 the different gods I would actually I would ask for different favors and sometimes I would get them. But again it was. It was more of a religious uh, uh, approach, and here with Hoodoo, I started really, uh, really getting more into using candles and and loading candles with herbs, and then using different prayers from the PGM uh, in different names, and doing you know, and, and actually started getting results. Um, I should clarify that initially, when I got introduced to Hoodoo, uh, for about the first year, I used it. I didn't mix it with anything else. I started using it just as is with, you know, with the Psalms, with, with Christian prayers. And then I moved on to working with, which I don't do anymore. Um, but uh, actually using Guetic spirits through candle magic, uh, which I had uh, some pretty intense uh, results with as well. But then, then I moved on to the PGM to using hoodoo with PGM and I've had some really amazing results with it. Um, I've some really incredible things in my life, and a lot of things. I, I have. I got to say, a lot of things I've achieved in my mundane life. I owe 
to this approach. I really, it, it's really transformed my life. Um, so, and the thing with Hoodoo is, Hoodoo is the most brilliant system of magic I have ever seen in terms of results-based magic. Um, it's, I mean, essentially Hoodoo is a set of principles and practices whereby you can do magic with anything that you have available, you know, it's it's like the poor person's magic. It's the magic of the oppressed. Um, it was the people who who developed hoodoo originally were uh, African slaves who were oppressed and who had to do something, and um, they did the best with what they had, and they were able to to make powerful magic. Where you know with hoodoo. You know, you don't need a lion skin belt. You don't need virgin parchment. Uh, you don't need rare ingredients to do magic. You can do magic with stuff that you have in your kitchen cabinet. Um, and uh, and it meshes perfectly with the PGM. And there's actually a few interesting commonalities between Hoodoo and the PGM as well. They flow very nicely together. I've, it seems very natural to combine them from from my personal experience. So what are, I mean, there's mm -hmm. some, some really obvious things that stick out to me, which which align the two um, traditions. What what did, what do you see as far as similarities? Well, so for one, um, there, there's a, a, a few um, a few things we can get into. So something that I, I that's become a regular um, you know a regular fixture of my work is engraving candles. So I'll, I'll engrave candles with formulas or with my name or with the name of the target that I, that I want to affect, which is a standard hoodoo technique. And uh, in the PGM, you also have writing on wicks. So, you know, instead of writing on a wick of a magical lamp, well, you can engrave candles. So there's an you know, there's that interesting little correspondence there. Um, I've engraved uh, candles during scrying work uh, instead of in you know in instead of writing a formula a PGM formula on a wick. I've used just a taper candle and I've engraved it with uh, with that same formula and I've had the result. There's another example. So something that's very important to hoodoo and to, to a lot of different traditions, to be fair, uh, the crossroads. So the power of the crossroads, that liminal point between where two roads meet. Well, in, in ancient Greece, crossroads were used. They were associated with, with the goddess Hecate. And uh, obviously in the PGM, you have spells where you leave offerings at crossroads. And again, in hoodoo, you, also, you can also leave spells at crossroads where you can, you can go to a crossroad, uh, you can take some crossroads dirt, leave payment for it, come back uh, home, do your spell, where you use the dirt, or you can even load your uh, your candle with that that dirt. And then once a candle burns out, you take the remains of the spell and you drop it off the, at the crossroads, uh, so as to kind of leave it with the the spirit of the crossroads. And you know, just another example. Those of you familiar with uh, with hoodoo will know that there's. There's a method of self-healing where you use an egg and you cleanse yourself. So basically, you take an egg, uh, just a raw egg, and uh, you you know you cleanse yourself or you rub yourself down, and then um, you know you can set that that egg uh, between three candles and and let them burn out, or you can even just you know just put it in the brown paper bag and drop it off at a crossroads. Well, there's also a uh, an egg cleansing in the PGM. It's, I think it's in the, um, there's a spell to meet your own diamond, your own tutelary spirit, 
where you take an egg and uh, you it's it instructs you to, uh, to cleanse yourself. Although in this case, you're actually you're actually supposed to crack the egg open after and swallow the contents. But uh, but again, a lot of interesting uh, you know interesting commonalities. These are just a few. Sure, sure. Yeah, the crossroads definitely yeah. jumps out at me. The use of oils to anoint is another one yes. um, that you see in both systems. I mean, it's kind of one of the staples of, of hoodoo. The use of magnets is another one that jumps out at me. Um, what else? I mean, work in the graveyards. Yeah. It's work with dolls. I mean, in, in you've got the, the voodoo doll in, in the PGM where they're nailing, nailing the doll and binding the doll. I mean, that's got um, parallels in, in all sorts of different systems. But Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of magnets, magnets are also a, uh, a strong part of my practice. Uh, I use a disc magnet and uh, I actually place it beneath my candle. So I'll have um, something I, I like to do is I'll, uh, I'll put a petition paper or a, uh, the photograph of the target and then I'll place my disc magnet on it. And then on top of that, I'll put a candle holder with the candle. And uh, because like that, it's like the magnet sucks down the energy of the, of the, of the candle onto the target. And uh, I really feel that adds a lot of power to the different workings. And by the way, this is not something that comes from me. It's something I learned uh, quite a long time ago. You, the use of disc magnets to, uh, to facilitate bringing down the energy onto a target. Well, you know, Jaja Mikaharik speaks highly of using them. Uh, I don't think he mentions them in that capacity, but he mentions them for usage of uh, pairing with spirit sigils mm -hmm. and um, in love magic yeah. and things like that. There's a lot of uh, a lot of uses you can put magnets to, as well as lodestones. Yeah, just a natural lodestone. You can actually use that uh, for money, and you can actually use it as a. Uh, you can make offerings to it because it actually has a spirit, and you can actually ask, ask it to uh, uh, to bring uh, things to you especially uh, in terms of finances. I mean, uh, what I, I love about combining hoodoo and the PGM is that a lot of times in the PGM, you will have uh, some really sparse spells. It's pretty bare bones. Um, and they're cool, and, they, and I'm sure they work as is, but it is nice to then add, you know, a jar spell to that working, you know, if, if it's just a few lines in the PGM or vice versa, you know, you're doing hoodoo and you add some of the Wose's magicae to that work with, as appropriate. Again, they, they complement mm -hmm. each other very nicely. Absolutely. So what about, um, do you do timing? How do you, how do, you do that? Because a lot of times timing isn't mentioned in the PGM. I mean, it is to a degree with, with some moon stuff, but um, how do you approach timing? So um, when I do planetary magic, uh, so I'll work with a planetary god or goddess, um, I do follow timing. Uh, so I'll, um, I'm not very strict on, um, on electional astrology, but I like, I like to be as safe as possible. So I have a software, it's called the Planetary Magic Program, uh, which, is, which it's a software that comes bundled with Chris Warnock's um, astrological magic course that I bought a few years, years ago. So I use that, and uh, I also have a software uh, to make the uh, natal charts, which is called uh, ZET, Z-E-T. So I kind of combine those and try to see, you know, if the hour is fairly auspicious. Um, and then I will do uh, my planetary work on the day and the uh, the hour of the planet. Um, I'm not as strict on the day, so I've done, you know, I've done planetary work on, you know, uh, on 
other days in the day of the planet, but I always follow the hour for that type of work. Now for uh, for other stuff, um, I'm not I'm not as strict. Uh, occasionally, what I'll do is I'll look at the Hegermanteia or the uh, the Greek Key of Solomon actually has a list of uh, of the hours for each day of the week, and uh, with each hour, it actually tells you what it's good for. Occasionally, I'll follow that as well. So. You know, oh, our uh, uh, the third hour of the day on Saturday is uh, is uh, very auspicious for this or that, um, and so on and so forth. So occasionally I'll follow that, but I'm not very strict with it, to be honest. Mostly with planetary work is is when I'm more uh, more following the hours. Okay, and do you worry about the moon moon phase? Moon phase, no. Moon phase, I only care about the moon phase when I'm working with uh, Selene. So. Uh, Usually, when uh, so when the moon is waxing, um, I'll ask her for you know to bring stuff to me. When the moon is waning, I'll ask her to you know to remove stuff. Uh, so I've had um, you know I've done I've done rituals with uh, with Selene on the waning moon, where I'll write down something you know kind of something I want to get rid of or you know some fear or something that's plaguing me, and I'll write it down on a piece of paper. And then at the climax of the liturgy, I will actually take the paper and burn it on the uh, on her candle that I have there. Okay. And uh, you know, over the next few days, I'll start seeing things happen. You know, uh, after that. But that's that's the only time I follow the uh, the waxing waning moon. I don't usually follow it for um, for planetary work specifically because uh, I will. I was always told that. Um, the waxing and waning, the, the moon phases, they're not as important astrologically, except when you're doing specifically lunar work. Mm-hmm. So it's my, you know, for, for other planets, it's more of whether the moon is afflicted or not. That's what's most important. Uh, now, do you do an opening or a framing right, or do you just jump right in? Oh, yeah, I have, a, I don't always do a framing right, but uh, I have my own framing right that, uh, well, I can't, I can't really get into here because it's, it's stuff that I, uh, that I teach uh, as part of uh, the, uh, the Federation work here, but uh, I do have uh, an opening and, uh, and closing right that I, that I use. Excellent. Now, so, so in terms of practical considerations, yes, we're talking about the spell work. Do you think that for somebody with less means or... Um, more comfort working through a folk magical paradigm. Do you think that if they wanted to have some kind of theophanic experience or direct contact with one of the deities that they could also use a more hoodoo approach to the PGM work, but for that purpose, instead of say like getting a new job or, um, you know, smashing your enemy, like what about like, you know, I want to experience a theophany of Helios. Well, that uh, basically what I've learned over the years is the key to having those experiences. It's not in the complexity of the ritual. It's in the regularity. So if you want to have an experience like that, start doing regular liturgies or regular offerings to the deity you want to endear yourself to. And eventually you're going to start seeing movement. You're going to start seeing things happen and you'll start seeing you know, different coincidences in your life that are kind of aligned with the nature of the deity. Um, now, for deeper experiences, uh, what I usually do is um, 
So in my liturgies, and I've I've published a few of my liturgies. Uh, there's a, there's a few of them in uh, in the Hermetic Tablet, and uh, I got a couple of them on in my blog. I have an open ended section of each liturgy where. I'll do different things, uh, and you know, sometimes I'll spend up to two hours just invoking the deity, and then most of the time there will be a manifestation. And um, so the key is, well, one regularity. Don't expect to have a deep experience with the deity if you've never worked with them before, and you just go in and ask them for you know for, for them to manifest because it's it's almost I don't want to say disrespectful, but it's like you know. Uh, um, a deity that you know you never worked with before, um, they might ask, "Okay, who are you? You know, you've you know you've never made offerings to me or anything like that, and now you come and 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 ask me for you know for this or to manifest." So, start doing regular offerings. Um, doesn't have to be anything complicated. Burn a bit a bit of incense, um, pour a bit of rum or wine or another type of liquor, offer some dried fruits and do this on a regular basis. So either weekly or up to each day, you know, at, at a specific time as well. And uh, eventually you're going to start seeing things. Like I said before, you're going to start seeing different, uh, different things manifest in your life. And uh, this is going to facilitate when you actually fully invoke the deity, it's going to really facilitate uh, a manifestation. And uh, so regularity, um, I've always said, it's not what you do, but how often and how consistently you do it. It's not a big wave that's going to break a rock. Uh, it's, it's tiny drops, you know, like that metaphor of erosion, the, uh, the little drops that always, the drops of water that always fall in the same place on a rock, eventually they'll bore a hole through that rock. So that's the important part, regularity and consistency. Now, on a similar note, how do you feel about using these, uh, this methodology to work with spirits? I haven't. I've never used that uh, that approach with uh, with spirits specifically. I've just gone in and asked uh, for things, but uh, I'm usually careful with spirits to you know to to let them know that I'm going to make an offering to them afterwards if they fulfill uh, their end of the bargain, which I do with the gods, by the way, as well. Um, this is also something I've learned in Hoodoo because one thing. Uh, is you'll see a lot of spells in the PGM where there's coercion of the gods. Uh, the gods are actually threatened to uh, do this and that. I never liked that approach. Um, and something I learned through Hoodoo is this works for gods or spirits. You can, you know, you call them up, you, uh, you give them a small offering, and you'll let them know that if they fulfill their end of the bargain, you're going to give them uh, greater offerings afterwards. So it's a pact uh, in, in, in essence. So this has always worked very well for me with spirits. Yeah, like I said, I've just gone in and, and, and worked with them. Uh, the first time I worked with the Guetic spirit uh, through a candle magic uh, ritual, I had a result like a week later uh, right away. And it was the first time I had uh, worked with them. Because spirits, um, especially, you know, lower spirits, unlike gods, uh, I always felt that, you know, we, we should be more careful with them. Because with, you know, with a god, you know, you can actually worship a god, you can actually give them regular offerings. But a spirit, you know, you don't know what a spirit could do to you. And it's, it's, spirits are more volatile than gods. So, uh, so yeah. Very good advice. Very, very good advice. Um, 
so when it comes to the gods, I think we should maybe qualify that like the gods that are addressed in the PGM are usually either the Egyptian deities or the Greek deities. I mean, there's also some mention of, I think, Babylonian Sumerian figures in there, yeah. um, as well as some Jewish and Christian figures. Um, but it seems to mostly be, even those figures seem to be um, syncretic with the Greco-Egyptian paradigm that's embodied in the PGM. Do you agree with this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's... A lot of the, um, uh, this, this, you know, there's some Christian material in the PGM, but you'll notice that the, a lot of the Jewish material is really integrated into the Greco-Egyptian uh, um, paradigm. Uh, so a lot of, it's almost as if they're all part of the same system. For, for instance, you know, the, uh, the headless rite, uh, the famous headless rite, you know, has a mention of Moses and uh, has some Jewish elements, but it's it, they're they're perfectly integrated into this, you know, this Greco-Egyptian rite, and um, you'll notice that a lot. Uh, sometimes, you know, a lot of people, especially scholars, they've derided uh, syncretism um, as if magicians are just you know haphazardly mixing things together without rhyme or reason, but when you look at the syncretism in the PGM, it's very well thought out. Uh, it's very, um, it's very well designed. It's, you know, there's, there's a logic, uh, a logic to it. Yeah, that's something we wanted to just to touch on this idea of syncretism and potentially maybe the uh, objection of appropriation when you're using hoodoo. I mean, that, that definitely, that objection is definitely out there. So, so what are your thoughts on this this whole conversation? Yeah, the the whole the whole thing of uh, cultural appropriation. So, there is there are small subsets of people that say, oh, you know, if you're not if you weren't born into this religion or into this tradition, you shouldn't practice it. But you know, it's I think this is alien to the history of magic and to how magic developed historically. I mean. Uh, you had the Greeks who came into Egypt and they appropriated uh, Egyptian gods. And then they, you know, some Greeks stayed in Egypt and they developed that further. Others went back to Greece, like to the island of Delos, uh, where they established Egyptian shrines. And then you had, um, you know, you had the Egyptians who if I remember correctly, Egyptians were originally uh, uh, initially a bit resistant to the Greek influx, but eventually, you know, you look at the uh, the PDM, the, uh, the the demotic magical papyri, and they do have Greek elements, albeit less uh, a lot less than than the actual PGM. But even the Egyptians uh, adopted Greek uh, uh, Greek elements, and uh, even in Pharaonic Egypt, um, the Egyptians actually. There's texts that use uh, that that mention the goddess Anat, who is a, a Canaanite war goddess, and um, there's a, a a very old uh, magical papyrus from the Pharaonic from Pharaonic Egypt. Uh, I think it's a medical papyrus with uh, with magical formulas, and uh, there's Minoan uh, or what's believed to be Minoan formulas, uh, so from from Crete, and so I think. You know, this to say that magic has always been about cross-pollination and interaction between different cultures and between different systems. Uh, Each magical system 
it might be a system on its own, but it's not. The, the, the systems are not these insular, closed uh, magic. The way magic evolves and the way magic uh, develops is by interaction and by um, you know magicians maybe finding another another tradition and discovering oh. I like the way they this this other tradition does this this or that. So I'm gonna try that in my own and gonna see if it works. And then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of develop your own synthesis and your own way of doing things based on different things. So um, as a magician, I will do you know, and, and I will practice whatever you know, whatever I find useful, whatever I find uh, works for me. That's what I'll do. And uh, I think. Uh, gatekeeping only only serves to divide people into and, and you know and, and, and to stall the progress of magic, and you know and imagine let's 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 say that you know someone actually came in and tried to enforce that just as a thought experiment, you know where would you where, where would you draw the line? It's 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 really um, I don't think it's something that that really that that, that would work at all, uh, and that that is beneficial at, at all. Now. The cultural appropriation that I do have issues with, and that uh, I've, you know, I've heard a lot of people take issues with, and that what I, this is the re- actual cultural appropriation that I would see as a concern. Is as a concern is this someone? This is something that happens often. Someone takes a a, a sacred symbol. Let's say someone takes a voodoo uh, veve, which is a symbol that's used in a very specific context, and oh, they'll make T-shirts out of it. And uh, they'll put it on T-shirts or coffee mugs, and they'll they'll start selling selling it as a uh, as like a commercial commodity. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of debasing or profaning it. That is cultural appropriation. That is. That's when I come out of the club blasting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just one one yeah. one clap after another. But I wanted to mention. Um, I think it goes hand in hand with what you were saying. I think also there's an element of vision involved, a visionary experience. You know, you could, the thing that is common to most genuine magicians um, is a faculty of interaction with the immaterial realm, with spiritual creatures, with different types or races of beings. And I think that another reason we see the syncretism is not sort of an artificial synthesis, a tendency toward artificial synthesis so much as a broader vision, a a broader vision of how reality is structured that comes from direct experiences of the realm of the gods and the realms of the spirits and things where, you know, not it's not like the Wiccan thing where like all goddesses are one, you know, it's not like this haphazard thing where everything is just everything, but there is a way that, for instance, Thoth and Hermes, while being separate expressions, there's a unity there between them. And that unity exists between other deities in certain ways. And I think that I think that that's where the visionary component comes in is like when you see these spells, you'll see a deity called by several names from several cultures sometimes, but it's specific. And, you know, like Ekati Ereshkigal, that makes sense. If you understand the myths that involve Ereshkigal and you understand the myths that involve Ekati, there's a, you know, it does, a coherent picture starts to build. And I think that for the person who is experimenting with these things, um, rather than 
questioning these associations, maybe contemplating why these ancient magicians acknowledge these associations as accurate, at least practically, is it's a fruitful line of investigation for someone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and take uh, another a good example is, uh, is Judaism. You know, Judaism is often seen, uh, you know, by a lot of people as, as more conservative than, you know, the, let's say pagan religions. Yet, you know, in, in late antiquity, Judaism was very open and uh, you'll find Greco-Egyptian names in Jewish mystical texts, like in the in the Hecalot literature, and um, even Greek gods like uh, Helios and Aphrodite, uh, you find these in in Jewish magical texts, like the Sefer Harazim, uh, the Sefer Raziel. Sefer Harazim has a prayer to Helios in it. Um, oh. The Sefer Raziel has uh, Zeus and Aphrodite uh, used as planetary names of uh, of Jupiter and Venus, respectively. And so, and in, in, in eventually, the you know even the Kabbalah uh, itself that that eventually developed in the Middle Ages is based a lot on Neoplatonic and Gnostic uh, philosophies. So you know, this to say that. Magic and 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 rich religious or religious magical traditions uh, can only benefit from this approach, from being open and from you know from from interaction and from cross pollination. Totally agree. Very wise words. I mean, you 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 see it everywhere. I mean, you see, for instance, the Book of Baruch, which is uh, a Gnostic text. You have mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. You have Hercules, and I believe you have Moses. Even even in Buddhism, and I believe is it Pakistan where you have uh, depictions of the Buddha, and then you have Hercules there in the background. Yeah, Greco Buddhism. That's a great example. So uh, nice points. Having covered all of that, what do you think about giving us some examples of of how this works with how you approach the PGM with with Hoodoo fused? Okay, so something I use um, I use a lot. It's it's kind of become a hallmark of my practice. So I'll use a, uh, a candle setup where I'll have three tea lights in a triangle. And then in the center, I'll have a petition paper. I'll have um, a disc magnet. And then I'll have my candle holder with my central taper. And that central taper, I will, uh, I'll engrave with the, uh, the name of the target. And then I'll rub it with, uh, uh, anoint it with a specific uh, oil or with my general power oil, and I will steep it in an herb or powder mix. And then I will use a PGM prayer to empower that. So uh, one, one that I use quite a bit is the, uh, uh, the prayer that is useful for all things, which is a uh, prayer to Helios that I've used, uh, I've used many, many times. Um, and it's a prayer that's very useful for emergencies. So I've, you know, I've had a lot of difficult situations in my life that really uh, got helped along by this, by this prayer. So what I'll do is I'll usually, uh, I'll light the three candles, the three, uh, the three tea lights, and then I will recite my formula, uh, like for instance, that Helios prayer, and then I will light the central, uh, the central candle and I recite my petition thrice. And then I leave uh, the whole setup there. I'll leave everything to burn out and I leave my temple. Now, that's one example. I use a lot of PGM formulas of that. So I'll use, I use that one. There's another one that I use, which uh, I don't know the exact PGM reference, but it's a, uh, it's a prayer to Zeus. 
it set to break chains and to accomplish many things. So I've used that with success, although I haven't found it to be as effective as uh, uh, working with Helios. Uh, Helios is actually a god I work a lot, uh, with a lot. Something else that I do is um, I'll combine, uh, I'll do uncrossing. Uh, so for those of you not familiar with uncrossing, uncrossing is a, uh, it's a hoodoo technique where basically you clear your, your subtle bodies and you clear any jinxes or any, any bad luck that may be afflicting you. Uh, you, you basically uncross yourself. And um, so something that I do uh, quite a bit, I'll take a black candle and I'll rub myself, strip naked, I'll rub myself down with this candle. And while I'm doing that, I'm, um, I'm basically saying, let all knots be untied. Let all obstacles that uh, stand between me and my aims be torn down. Let all barriers be torn down. Let all jinxes be broken. Let every bad luck that plagues me be purged. So I'll do that. And then I'll set the, uh, the black candle down and, uh, I'll, uh, I'll spread the rue herb around it. Once I've done that, uh, I light it and I recite the name Sesegen Bar Parangis, uh, which is a, um, it's a PGM name. Uh, it's a f- fairly uh, frequently found in the PGM. And there's a spell where, the, where this name is found. It's a spell to break chains. And in that spell, uh, Sesegen Bar Parangis is said to be the one who breaks chains. So I've experimented with using this name while I'll recite it quite a few times. Usually I do it a hundred times to really feel the name. Uh, and then I'll ask him to uncross me and then I'll see things developing over the next few days. One thing that you'll notice a lot with this method is, uh, if you do this at night, you'll have crazy vivid dreams. So if you don't remember your dreams normally, try uncrossing yourself, uh, before you go to bed, uh, you'll see, you'll, you'll, you'll remember them. Cool. Yeah. That's an awesome, awesome technique. And, uh, a yeah. few years ago, I think you gave me a pretty interesting, uh, Asclepius technique that was very similar to that where yes. I don't remember offhand what yes. it was, but you would, I would say the name a certain amount of times, I think a hundred. And then the technique that you were talking about earlier, which I really like, which is the contract. So once you once you get the results that you want, then you say, in this case, I was petitioning Asclepios for a certain healing, then perhaps donate to a charity that is involved with that healing in his name. Um, I found that pretty beneficial. Yeah. So the Asclepius working, it's, I actually have that on my blog. I've used it a few times, uh, for, uh, for, for healing. And, um, basically you use a triangular, uh, candle setup. And uh, you have, uh, I use a, uh, I have a statue of Asclepius that I have on there and I'll burn incense uh, just above the central candle. And uh, what I do is I vibrate, there's a, there's a series of names of Asclepius uh, somewhere in the PGM. Again, I don't remember the, uh, uh, the exact reference, but I'll vibrate them 136 times. Um, 136 is a, um, is a number that's associated with Jupiter. And, uh, you know, I, I've always associated Asclepius with, uh, with aspects of Jupiter. So that, that was my logic, uh, uh, behind that. So I'll recite that 136 times and then I'll, you know, I'll light the central candle. I, uh, make a couple offerings, a food, uh, food offering, and I'll pour some liquor and then I'll, uh, 
recite a uh, there's a, a, a Hor- the Orphic hymn to Asclepius. I'll recite that as well, and then I'll say my petition. And what I always do is I ask him for whatever healing I, I, I'm asking for, and I promise to donate to a charity in his name. And I usually do that for hospitals. So I donated to a children's hospital the last time I did this. Uh, and this is how your magic can, ha- can, can benefit the world in non-magical ways. You ask a God for a boon or a favor, and in return, besides you know besides uh, uh, promising them uh, praise and further offerings uh, you offer you, you promise to give to a charity in their name so that's something I've always uh, enjoyed beautiful yeah there's a real artistry to doing this kind of work I mean it's like it's like making a piece of yeah. art except it's obviously non-physical I want to get Janice in on the conversation here before he has to jump out any any examples ben that- I Bennett, what are you talking about, man? Come on. <laughs> Any examples from your practice? Because I know you've you have a very extensive practice and a lot of experience Who? in this realm. Who, me? You, yeah. I know. Usually, I'm just making fun of you, but you For, know. <laughs> uh, well, what I I like to um, I think the if you're dealing with any water spells, bathing spells, like a cleansing bath. Um, I think it's useful to invoke the powers of the Agdawad, the, the, um, which are the eight pre-creational gods that um, reigned over Hermopolis under the presidency of Thoth, because they preside over the primal ocean of noon. So that's like a pre, think of like Genesis, and uh, which has a parallel in the Corpus Hermeticum, like, Think of it like the period before Genesis occurred, before the cosmos was formed by the Elohim, the Agduat existed, the eight gods of um, endless waters. So because of their primitive and uh, primeval uh, association with water, I think uh, invoking them is useful uh, if you're doing a cleansing bath and you can say a prayer to them uh, to just purify your soul you know, um, purify your soul and release you from all filth and contamination, which is sometimes called, uh, well, evil in ancient Egyptian, the word for evil is is fet. Um, But the connection between the idea of uh, corruption or contamination and chaos is uh, close in ancient Egypt. And so I think that by invoking the so-called eight gods of chaos, in any kind of watery rite, whether that's a cleansing bath you're taking or a sort of ritual baptism of an initiate or, you know, or scrying. I just think invoking the uh, Agduad in simple rites is beneficial. They're a neglected set of deities who I think deserve significantly more attention. Hopefully this comment won't result in a $500 course being run by (laughs) another magician, but for those people who are interested in actually experimenting with what I have found to be extremely, I mean, I really believe that the Agdoad, Noon, Naunet, or Nunit, uh, He, Hehit, Kukit, and um, Amen and Amenit, there's some variant names, but those are the eight. There are four male-female pairs, and um, they're beautiful, majestic gods who are responsible for the formation of the reality we live in. So for me, when you invoke them, 
it's like invoking something that's actually more powerful than the seven gods that rule the cosmos. And they're beautiful, wise, ancient, and extremely powerful deities. The ancient Egyptians actually seem to be a little wary of openly talking about them too much or invoking them, but I found them to be benevolent. There's an ancient Egyptian myth that Re, the supreme god, who for whom the sun was just the body, the sun being the most brilliant and subtle form of matter. I mean, it would make sense that the supreme god would take a body of pure light and fire. But Ray gave to mankind, according to ancient Egyptian myth, magic to uh, combat the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. So according to the Egyptian perspective, uh, which is very much at variance with um, the attitudes of other some other cultures, magic was actually a gift from God to cope with the challenges of living on earth. And because of that, it didn't have to always be sophisticated. Um, and I think that's something that Thoth, for all of his um, flawless sophistication in sublime heights, I think he also has a deeply practical side to him. And I think that his concern as he sees human beings as being his children is that when we use magic, we understand that it can be simple and effective, but that we should also understand that the very use of magic links us to the gods. And in fact, it's the quality that shows our divinity as incarnate beings, but still in a sense, according to the Corpus Hermeticum, we are incarnate gods, you know, guards, uh, according to the Corpus Hermeticum, the gods are discarnate humans and humans are incarnate gods. So I think that there's something to ponder there. And also, you know, I have a tendency, as I think many people who are drawn to these arts do, to sometimes just become intrigued with complication, to become a little bit uh, preoccupied with things having to be just right and having to do everything in the right steps. And sometimes that can be discouraging or impractical if you don't have time. And if you think about it, if you allow if you allow that complication to become an obstacle to um, doing magic more regularly, then you're actually sabotaging your own development and effectiveness. Nicely put. Yeah. So a lot of what we've been talking about can cover what you find in the PGM as far as what you see oftentimes do the usual. So that, that has, that always, I think has a lot of people scratching their head. Like, well, what am I, supposed to do what's the usual um, and we don't necessarily have the the context for that i would say that a lot of these magicians were priests possibly and so um, the usual would be part of their normal priestly routines or prayers i think a lot of times to do the usual is just left up to the person to uh, personalize the ritual and that's that's where they add all the specifics of this the specific situation but do you see this do the usual as a good place to insert something like hoodoo? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from from what I remember, uh, it's usually referring to to your petition, especially when it says add the usual. It's usually to say, okay, uh, add whatever you know, basically whatever your petition is. So definitely, it's definitely a uh, a good yeah a good place to to, to use hoodoo. If you have hoodoo under your belt, uh, it really it's it's a key 
to making the impractical practical basically so you can bring in any you know almost any spell and make it you know make it work so like me personally if uh for example um if there's an ingredient in the pgm that i that i can't find i'll use substitutes but when uh you know what i usually do is just you know just to be on the safe side i'll often do a divination beforehand on that question to say okay will this be effective or what will be will, will the effect be uh if i use this in this ritual you know j- just to be you know just to be on the cautious side mm-hmm. this is something that my golden dawn training has taught me the golden dawn is all about being as safe as possible so i carry that with me uh in my work so I do a lot of divination, a lot of tarot spreads before I do certain types of work, especially stuff I haven't done before. You know, one ingredient that I, that I created, um, and I'm sure I'm gonna let I'm gonna get a lot of flack for this uh, uh, from from people who are maybe a bit more purists, but uh, the ink that you use in the PGM, uh, myrrh ink. So what I did for that is I just basically burned some myrrh and took some Indian ink and just mixed them together. You know, there's there's quite a few more ingredients listed, but I just decided, you know what, I'll I'll do this. But before that, I actually did a divination to say, will this ink be effective? And uh, I got a positive result. So you know, and and uh, it and it works fine. So I'd say in those instances, if if you have doubts about a certain element that you want to replace or you want to you, know, you want to do something different and, and do a divination beforehand and see you know see what the outcome will be yeah that's such an important point the divination aspect it's super useful super good point and uh, especially to know if something's going to back backfire on you cuz you never know uh, you know that's very smart i mean sometimes i'm hesitant to do to do the divination cuz i don't want the answer to be no but <laughs> But uh, I think it's the right thing to do. I, th- I think that's right. Um, hey, at least you're honest with yourself about that, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a barrier. Another thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes the materials can be prohibitive in, in the PGM. Not so much as, like, say, a lion skin belt or whatnot. But there are some really strange items that, you know, back in Roman Egypt would not have been all that strange. You know, it would not have been such a big deal to sacrifice a a chicken i mean that's like everyday life like what's the big deal um even you know some crazy things like drowning cats you know it was yeah it was a different mindset it's a different place i don't think it would have been such a big deal maybe for someone to acquire some of these items yeah Um, yeah and i think a good point with that is i mean i would never do i just i couldn't do that i couldn't do it sure but Uh, yeah i don't think you should no way no, no, but I, I just want to say that the idea behind those rites of drowning is is it's a form of apotheosis to, because of because of Osiris's drowning and resurrection, then the act of drowning became a, uh, associated with divinization. Mm-hmm. So not to justify it, but instead to maybe help people see it through the lens of that culture. Um, you know, the ritual magical drowning of a living creature would actually divinize that creature, which would in turn turn it into a daimon um, and an offering to the god in question. So it would it would bear the it would bear the prayers of the magician to the god, and at the same time be an offering to that god. So it would actually divinize the creature. Yeah. Yeah, useful clarification. I mean, I, again, there's a there's a context there that we may not always be privy to. 
All right, guys, I gotta get, I gotta jump off here, but I just want to thank you again, Pedro. What a great conversation! How interesting. No, thank you. I'm so glad you des- you agreed to come on because it, <laughs> so much of what you're presenting is very just high quality. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So one last thing before we wrap up, because I think there was a lot of food for thought here in this episode, um, and we don't want to give away too many trade secrets, I guess, maybe. Uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I do ask people this every once in a while about the PGM. Um, so I'm curious what your opinion would be. So if someone were just to, it kind of has to do with the the power of the Wuches Magicae. Would there be a difference in your eyes? And if you don't want to answer this, I can cut this out. Would there be a difference in your eyes for someone off the street just picking up a papyri and seeing one of these spells and just doing the spell, saying the the sacred names? Would there be a, would that have the same effect as say someone who was um, deeply reverent, perhaps a priest who had this kind of uh, deeper context um doing doing that same right what do you what do you think about that um i think i think the difference would be you know it would be night and day um personally i you know i've you know when when i practice these things so the names i'll vibrate them i'll actually vibrate them fully on and uh it takes sometimes takes a lot uh you know to, to get you know to get to that that sweet spot where I feel something, and uh, so, and I, th- although I, I, there's, there are a lot of people, uh, a lot of magicians out there who can just say something, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a formula very simply like that and get an effect. For me, it takes, it takes a bit more. It takes a bit more ritual, a bit more, uh, a bit more work. So, could a person off the street get an effect? Maybe, uh, but it, it might not be the effect that uh, you know that a person of more experience or someone who actually put more effort into it uh would i mean i mean the reason i ask is i i i see sometimes where where the uh the divine names the Wochase magic are are seen as kind of it i mean that's all you need you say these names and you get what you want it seems to me like you would need to have more practice behind you more reverence perhaps piety um, in some cases purity but I, I know that that's not necessarily the consensus I think yeah I think the more practice you have the more uh, you know the more magical experience you've had behind you the more you'll be able to direct these forces uh, like one uh, like a good example in my case you know uh, for the longest time, um, even after I started practicing magic within the Golden Dawn, I had a really hard time getting magical effects uh, in the real world. You know, I could I could scry. Uh, uh, you know, even you know that was difficult. But I you know I could do that. You know, I would have uh, you know uh, like uh, I could feel energies uh, and different things. I could do all these things that were more you know more of an internal work. But when it came to getting effects outside of myself, it was really 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 hard and eventually it clicked that you know for me at least for me personally um and i discovered this through the constant vibration of spirit names and magical names it's when i detached from the actual goal that i could get that goal that i could get that effect uh, mm. So when I had lust of result, um, it it would kill my magic, and 
most people are not like that. Most people, they put a lot of inf- a lot of uh, emotion into a ritual, mm-hmm. um, and they'll get that effect. If I put emotion emotion into a ritual, I will kill it. Uh, I mean, I you know, I have a friend of mine that that friend that introduced me to hoodoo. He can pour his heart out before a burning candle and have miracles happen to him the next day. If mm. I do that, I'll have zilch. So I actually have to go through rich after do a long ritual good preliminary work so that, you know, I get to a point where there's just the ritual. I just focus on doing the ritual correctly. And that's, that's where I get my effect. Um, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a very complicated thing. Like uh, I had a situation once uh, where someone I knew they, you know, they had, there was something, and I can't get too much into it. It's kind of personal, but there was something, the potential of something very bad happening to them the next day, Mm -hmm. like almost, almost for sure. And I had to do something for them on a pinch. Uh, and it was late at night and I was about to go to bed. So I did, what I decided to do is I took, I just took a, uh, a tea light. I took some olive oil. I rubbed some olive oil on that tea light and I vibrated the name Abrasax, which by the way is a very, very powerful name. Mm-hmm. Abrasax 365 times, which is the, the, uh, the numerical value of that name. Mm-hmm. And I asked Abrasax to solve that situation. And the next day there was something amazing that happened with that where it was just completely solved um so it doesn't have to be very complicated but you do have to put some effort into it you do have to like in this case you know i i was vibrating that name for 45 minutes until i got to a point where i didn't even i wasn't even thinking of the uh you know, of, of, of that, that bad situation anymore. I was just thinking I was just in a trance. And then I just said the petition calmly, barely thinking about, you know, uh, about that situation, then it happened. But that all that being said, I think the more you put in, the more you get out of your magic. So I've always thought that the, uh, you know, the complicated instructions that you see in the grimoires, where you have to find this rare ingredient, you have to get a lion skin belt, um, you have to get virgin parchment, uh, you have to get, you have to pre- prepare this, these tools at a certain time and all of that. And it's not that they don't have, that those prescriptions don't have objective power in and of themselves. I think there's another aspect to those instructions, which is... A psychological aspect where if you go through that process where you do all these things, it puts you in a place psychologically where you can make anything happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, if you go through this this process where you're you know you're doing all these you know, all these things, it really um, you know you get to a place where you know it's 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 not a, a, a um, you know it's a place that's not your normal consciousness. You know, you know, for example, stuff that I've done where I've had to go. You know, I've I've gone to crossroads at like three in the morning to to get dirt. And uh, and leave payment and and do all these things. You know, this is really weird stuff. You know, like if you ask if you ask the average person, like don't like what are you doing? But um, you know, the, I think that ad, just the fact that I went there. You know, and never mind the dirt that I got from the crossroads that I later used in my spells. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that I went there and I lacked sleep. And I actually went there and then did that. I think that had like psychologically that did something to me that made me a more effective magician and better able to channel that particular current. So, 
you're you're absolutely inputting more energy whether it's through uh you know the buying some expensive ingredient or like you said lack, losing sleep and getting up at three in the morning i mean there's energy being ex, expelled expended for this purpose so that that would be another angle that makes total sense as far as results go do you expect black and white results and like what's your time frame for for results typically so results i usually get results within a week uh for most things uh that's what i've noticed you know it's this is going to depend on the person uh Mm -hmm. for really big things um if you want to do something really really big like for example about a year ago i started uh you know i you know i got into my mind that you know i want to buy i used to rent a place Mm -hmm. like i want to buy an apartment within the next year and i i I was okay financially, but it's still a big thing. It's a lot of conditions. It's a lot of uh, things you have to do with the bank. It's 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 a lot of money. It's a lot of it's a lot of hoops you got to go through that I I really didn't think I'd be able to do within a year. But I started doing magic towards that, uh, which included a lot of PGM work. Um, and I would, I would always asking, I, I was doing workings every week for it. And I was always asking, I want to own my apartment w- within the next year. And then in January, my, um, my mother, uh, she suggests to me out of the blue, yeah, you know, you should really start talking, uh, start uh, thinking about buying your own apartment. Nah, nah, nah. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and she's like, oh, I'll ref- I, I know my, I have a realtor and I'll refer you to him and he'll take care of it. So I met the realtor and turns out the process would be a lot easier. And, you know, eventually it got, you know, it, it things started falling into place after mm-hmm. that really, really quickly. And now I actually own my own place. And that, that for me, that, that is one of my greatest achievements. Uh, and, but it, I mean, it still took a year, but it cemented in me the idea that you can accomplish anything with magic mm-hmm. uh, if you do it consistently. You know, any goal, do spells for it consistently, you know, at least once a week, once a week, once a week, keep doing work um, for money to get your, you know, uh, uh, you know, a lot of money is a lot of is something that a lot of people are, uh, are looking for in, in, in magic to help their financial situation. Money magic works best if you do it regularly. Don't expect to do a single operation and just, you know, just have your financial situation suddenly improve. You have to do things on a regular basis to keep things going. And uh, don't expect the lottery either. Uh, you know, make sure you have, <laughs> you have, uh, uh, I've tried magic for the lottery and uh, I've had really small amounts here and there. Oh, I won, uh, you know, 10 bucks here, 10 bucks there a bit more frequently, but no, no big, uh, no big prizes or anything. So for, forget the lottery. So what do you what do you think about the lottery that makes it un, unattainable for magicians? So well the odds because uh, basically magic works by means of the uh, uh, it'll it's like water it follows the path of least resistance. So mm. if you have investments, you're going to get money through those investments. Like me personally, I've had stuff happen. Like uh, like once I did an operation for money, and what happened was I owed. 
like $700 to the government that I was supposed to pay that my uh, my accountant told me uh, that I'd done my taxes. After I did that operation a week later, my accountant comes back to me and tells me, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Uh, yeah, they, they actually owe you $700. So you're going to get that money. That's cool. And uh, I've had investments and side investments that I had uh, like really uh, yield like crazy yields. I've had... Uh, I had unexpected raises at work. I've had bonuses at work, uh, stuff like that. So make sure you have avenues for whatever you want to manifest. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you know if you wanna you know, if you wanna find a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a lover, uh, make sure you're on dating sites. Make sure you're you're you know you're actually on dating sites and you have yourself out there because you know. You know, the, the the man or woman of your dreams isn't going to fall out of the sky and and and, and you know fall before you. Um, so make sure you know if you do healing magic. You know, if let's say you do healing for yourself, um, make sure you also have a healthy lifestyle. Right, doing doing a healing spell and then hitting up McDonald's ten minutes later probably not uh, exactly not compatible. Exactly. So basically try and uh, try and make your mundane circumstances as compatible with what you want to achieve as possible. So, but yeah, you will have miracles happen. You will have really like really amazing things uh, happen. I've also, you know, something I also do on the side is um, uh, I experiment with uh, with Jewish magic uh, uh, quite a bit uh, as well through hoodoo. I haven't had as good results with Jewish magic. I don't know why, you know, I have, I haven't had, you know, as, you know, as, um, as powerful results as I've had with the PGM. I don't know if it's, if it's because I practice PGM more, but, um, you know, there's something about the PGM that's really, really, really effective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for so many things like there's, um, you know, if you're interested in dream magic, so if you want to have revelations in in dreams, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in the PGM for that. So one thing you can do is, uh, I think this is in PGM seven. This is something uh, that I do on a pretty regular basis for uh, uh, if I want to get you know dream revelations. So there's a spell where you actually uh, uh, have to write a name on a wick and you roll it up and you uh, you, you, you dip it in olive oil. What I've done is um, I've, uh, you know, I carved that name on a candle and I rub it with olive oil. And then when I, I light it and I recite the formula in that, uh, in that, that spell seven times. And then uh, although the spell, uh, I think the spell says to, uh, uh, to extinguish the light and go to sleep, but I actually leave it, uh, leave it by my bed, leave it lit. So the last time I did this, I was actually looking for this some secret knowledge that I knew existed that was connected to a, a specific tradition. It's a bit personal, but I got a revelation uh, that wasn't, it wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but it was something that, that opened up some avenues to explore in that direction and some stuff that I, I, I couldn't have known. Uh, so it's, I'll get, I'll get stuff like that. I'll get, uh, I'll get revelations like that where it's not exactly what I asked for, but it's something that, okay, that points me in that direction. And that actually allows me to do something with that information. Very cool. Yeah. When you, you said you anointed the the candle. So not only kind of swapping out the, the candle for the, the linen, 
But what about the oil? Would you use like a an infused oil with herbs and things that maybe were appropriate to to that objective? Uh, well, I have my own power oil uh, that I use. Um, it's it it's a personal uh, mix. It has d- different herbs and different ingredients. And uh, but I'll I'll you know it's pretty easy to make a PGM oil. So. Uh, you can take olive oil and uh, you can you can make your own custom oils where you take an herb that's uh, that's cognate to the uh, to what you want to accomplish and it doesn't have to be an herb that that you have in the PGM you can actually just use uh, uh, herb attributions from hoodoo uh, but there are consecration formulas for oil in the PGM so there's a there's a spell I think it's a love spell um, this is what it's one of where I base my my own personal formula on uh, where it's where you actually uh, have this oil, uh, you make a mix of oil, and you see, and you recite directly to the oil, oil, saying, "You are oil. You are not oil. You are this. You are that. You are." Um... Actually, let me let me see if I can find that. Um... Sure. No, I, I love that one. Um, Jack Grell uses that one a lot, and he. Oh yeah. He he motivated me to to be more comfortable, maybe with with substitutions to swap out things. Using that yeah. spell is, is pretty effective. Speaking of Jack Grill, I I, um, I wanted to, I had wanted uh, his uh, his book his uh, Hecateon book. Uh, I never got a chance to buy it originally when it came out, and uh, then it you know it, it went through the roof uh, with with prices. Uh, sure. And now I finally pre-ordered it, so I'm looking forward to getting it next year when it oh, comes nice. out again. So I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Um, so here, let me find. Um, Oh, here it is. Okay, so it's PGM uh, sixty-one, and it starts around uh, yeah, line forty-eight. You are you are the olive oil. You are not the olive oil, but the sweat of the good diamond, the mucus of Isis, the utterance of Helios, the power of Osiris, etc. So I have a formula that's similar to that, and um, what I do is I uh, I have I make my oil mix, and uh, I bring the oil up to my lips, and I recite the formula, and then I I let it uh, sit in between a triangular candle setup. So three tea lights, uh, three lit tea lights, and I do that for seven days. Cool. And then I, I found the consecration for all purposes pretty handy. I think that might be the Helios one. Yes. Oh, I was I was actually going to talk about that because um, you might have seen in the uh, in the PGM group on uh, on Facebook. Um, there's a another PGM magician, Alison Chakoski. She um, she discovered this uh, interesting use for the Helios consecration, which is as a road opener. So as a uh, a spell to open up opportunities in your life. Road opener is a uh, is a hoodoo term for any spell that'll clear things from your life and open up opportunities. So I've actually done this quite a few times, um, and the way I do I, I do it is uh, I'll have my triangular candle set up. I anoint uh, three tea lights with um, uh, with Van Van oil, which is a hoodoo oil, and then I have a central uh, a central candle, and I'll rub it with. Uh, I've used uh, lemon oil uh, for hell use. I've also I also have uh, frankincense oil that I use sometimes, and basically. I have a sensor as well with frankincense. So I light the three tea lights. I light the frankincense. I recite the um, that formula uh, at sunset. I try to time it around the time uh, that the sun is setting uh, per her uh, recommendation. And then I light the central candle uh, and I recite my uh, my petition. Uh, so I usually uh, use the petition that she uh, that she recommended, which is and let the you know let the uh, as the sun 
sets may it never rise again until I rise again in power and glory and uh, and and success. So that's something that really it's very it's a very effective method. Uh, the first time I did it, I actually had something pretty big happen to me the next day. So. Yeah, very cool. That 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 is a good one. I like that. And Allison is an artist in her own right. A lot of this yeah. is is art. I'm trying to think of there was another one that was good for road opening. I forget what it is, but it is uh it's for it's for breaking someone out of prison basically. Oh yeah. Uh, are you familiar with that one? Uh I think it might be the the one that I saw with the uh you know the one was, that I use uh, with the, the well the name um I use one name out of it. This is again Barparangus for uncrossing it might be that same spell i know there's uh, three or four spells to break chains and to break uh i think it's pgm 12 160 oh there it is yeah so second bar you who loosen all bonds yeah there it is yeah okay interesting so that's the same one you use yeah cool man i think we can go on all day or all <laughs> night but we do have to wrap up i would yeah. love to have you back on again oh, i'd love to be back thank you cool um so you have a blog. So, so where can people find you? Where can people follow you and see what you're up to? Um, you've got a, a pretty cool blog. Okay. So my blog is uh, Pentamegistus. Uh, so P-E-N-T-A-M-E-G-I-S-T-U-S dot blogspot.com. Um, so you can visit that. There's a lot of my stuff there, not only on the PGM, but uh, have some uh, uh some Jewish material and uh, some other stuff in there that I've, uh, I've worked on over the years. There's some liturgies. There's uh, it's quite a few things. So you can follow me there. I, I, I post once in a while. So, and you, you mentioned the lodge, the Hermetic Federation. Yes. Are you accepting applicants? Yes. Yes. So uh, I have a lodge here in Montreal. Um, anyone wanting to apply would have to travel obviously so uh, but uh, you can send an email to hermeticfederation at gmail.com if uh, if you're interested and uh, then uh, you know I'll send you the information and there are other branches around the country as well yes. yeah so Pitts, there's Pittsburgh there's uh, Austin Texas and there's uh, obviously uh, Portland uh, Oregon correct Nice, Pedro. Thank you very much. It's been awesome. I'm glad we finally Thank got you, you on. It's too bad Janice had to jump off. But um, for, for Janice and myself, just uh, want to say we appreciate you taking the time to come on and, yeah. and share your wisdom. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm not, I'm not the most eloquent speaker. I'm a bit nervous, but, but I, I'm you know, very thankful for the opportunity. Okay, that was Pedro with an excellent conversation on the intersection of the Greek magical papyri and similar types of magic with um, hoodoo and folk magical approaches. Um, it's an interesting idea to explore, interesting, you know, sort of confluence of approaches and um, methodologies and, um, you know, angles of implementation. I definitely enjoyed speaking with him. I found him to be an intelligent and insightful person. I like him because he's really focused on just doing the things, to, you know, getting the things done, doing the things. And he's willing to experiment at the same time. Being experienced in both folk magic and temple magic, he has kind of two sides to his background that he's able to sort of weave together and synthesize into a more coherent whole, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm grateful for him coming on the show. I think he's a good example of someone 
who doesn't sacrifice their scholarship uh, for the sake of practice, but on the other hand, doesn't let the desire to study uh, undermine their uh, approach to getting things done. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's exactly right. He's he's a good example. That's kind of why uh, we both wanted to have him on is because he is such a great example of of what a practitioner could be. He balances very nicely his scholarship with his kind of religiosity, his religious devotion, and his practical, uh, the practical side of things. So he's definitely out there looking for results, which is great, but he, he hasn't lost sight of the bigger picture. He's uh, not afraid to admit that he's a, a monotheist. Mixing hoodoo in the PGM, probably not groundbreaking. I'm sure there's people out there doing it, but um, I like the way he does things. He has a very open mind about things. Sometimes uh, there's a tendency to kind of get a purist's attitude, uh, maybe get a little bit stagnant, try to do everything by the book exactly. And then you realize that some of this stuff is kind of like poetry, that, that is kind of like art, that is a little bit more free-flowing. You have to kind of embrace that uh, mercurial quality uh, sometimes when you when you are a practitioner in this way. Definitely true. Yeah, so you have a book for us? Yes. So this week I'm going to be talking about a book that Pedro actually turned me on to a little while back. It is called Working the Root, and it's the Conjure Workbook Volume 1. I don't actually think there's a Volume 2, but uh, it is by star cassis and it's a great introduction to hoodoo but um it's not doesn't necessarily have to be an introduction if you're already familiar with hoodoo it would also be very useful to you i think she covers a lot of of the basics she goes through the different saints um, a lot of the psalms uh, and the prayers associated with the saints um, and some easy workings and some typical workings that you do with the saints and then she moves on uh, to talk about all sorts of things, bottle work, um, clock work, um, mirror boxes, jar work, candle work, conjure packets, conjure oils, um, working the graveyard, doing uh, washes, waters, baths. So a whole host of things, dolls. So anyway, like I said, it, it covers a lot of things. Pretty, pretty straightforward. If you want to start looking at hoodoo and different kind of root work, conjure to add to your to your practice, or even just for some ideas, if you already are familiar with conjure work, it's always nice to just get some fresh ideas from uh, an experienced practitioner, which uh, Starcassus is. She's been doing it for many decades, so um, you can trust you can trust what's in here. So again, that is working the root by Star Cassis. Thanks for that. Um, perfect book to accompany this episode, I think. We want to get that practical approach in, get people's hands in, get he people's hands dirty, and get them motivated and actuated. So with that said, I think that's a wrap. I think you're right. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, subscribe in those places. Um, if you're listening to this on YouTube, you can always find us on your favorite pod finding place where you find podcasts um and pod finding place <laughs> podcatcher is that what they call it okay well thank you everyone for listening we hope you enjoyed it and we will see you in the next episode 